Today we're doing our concluding part of the Generous Life series, aren't we? Over the last four weeks we've looked at what generosity is and hopefully we've been challenged about our generosity. We started with generosity for dummies, which uh, Will gave a, a great overview about looking at this key principle um, in the kingdom. Uh, key principle, it's yet yeah, simple, that's why we went with dummies, not that we were saying people were dummies if you know what I mean. Um, we looked at the generosity to forgive one another as we've been forgiven. Phil Moll spoke about the generosity of hospitality. Yeah. And then last week, Andre looked at the widow's might and linked that back to how we at Junction 10 are the benefactors of what others have previously given and sacrificed. And later today, all five of those talks will be available as podcasts. So if you missed any, I'd encourage you to go back and have a listen. Or if you've been here every week, then still go back and have a listen, just to make sure that Phil Moles in particular wasn't teaching anything dodgy. He's my friend, we can get away with that. Um, actually, I was listening to some podcasts yesterday on, on my phone, and I've not really paid any attention before, but I noticed it's got like a little number, times one. And I pressed it, and it went to times one and a half. And I pressed it again, it went to times two. So if you're short in time, you can listen to it a bit quicker. If you press it a third time, it goes to times a half. And if you listen to something times a half, everybody sounds drunk. It's quite funny, actually, but have a listen, have a play later. But a generous life is one of our five core values. The church is on the, it's on the banner there. It's in our DNA or, or in our foundations, as we heard last week. Uh, and in his first letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul challenged uh, Timothy to teach the congregation about generous, generousness. In 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, we read, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Who wants to live a life that's truly life? Yeah, oh well, there's five of us. Um, the rest of you can catch up later. But that's our hope, that's our desire for the church at Junction 10. And hopefully over the course of this series, you've been informed, but also challenged about generosity. And I know I have. So today we come to the conclusion, and we're going to look at three brief biblical reminders. So you've got three messages today for the price of one. They're not all half hour each, don't worry. We're all going to be shorter. And we're going to hear testimonies from people about generosity. And remember on week one, we'll give the challenge about four people got the £10, got the generosity challenge. Some, yeah, yeah, yes. Well, we're going to hear back from them today about how we've done. So, as I said, generosity is a key value for, here, for us here at Junction 10. And we tithe on the income that we get. So whatever money is received through weekly collections, direct debits, or one-off gifts, as a church, we give away at least 10% of our income. And we haven't spoken too much about tithing during this service. And we've got a Sunday in the new year scheduled where we're going to hear more about that. But we thought it would be good for folks to hear, for you all to hear today, about how we demonstrate generosity as a church. So please welcome Andrew, Andrew O'Carney, who's one of our trustees and heads up the finance subcommittee. And he's going to share about how Junction 10 tithes. So we welcome Andrew. Morning, church. Um, I'll probably start by asking uh, just a short quiz. How many here pay taxes? Any form of tax? 
How many like paying taxes? Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, um, why did I talk about taxes? Well, just wanted to run through maybe some of the key differences between taxes and tithing. Because I think as Christians, sometimes we get a bit mixed up between the two. So can anybody tell me any difference between tax and tithing? Very good. You have no choice about paying tax. You can actually be imprisoned for not paying tax, if you didn't know. So there's no choice about it. With tithing, God loves a cheerful giver. So we give out of the gratitude of our hearts. In fact, I think we're a bit spoiled today as, um, as Christians, probably as human beings, because we don't quite see where the food that we eat on our table comes from. If you go back in the olden days when, you know, farming was the main sort of commercial drive, you know, farmers were very dependent on rain uh, in terms of the, the harvest and on, you know, generally good weather. You could have drought for years, which meant, you know, famine. It would affect your harvest. It would affect what food you had on your, on your plate. And obviously, when they had a bumper harvest, it was very easy for the farmers to recognize that the harvest wasn't necessarily a produce of their hands, that they were blessed by God because the rains came from the heavens. They had no say about it. So it was very easy for them to then, you know, out of the gratitude of their hearts, give back a tenth of their harvest to God as commanded. Um, if you look at the Bible, don't worry, I won't go into a sermon. Um, I think it's Genesis 14 where you, you find the first uh, account of anybody tithing in the Bible, and that was Abraham. Um, he ran into a priest um, called Melchizedek. I, I won't bore you with the details, but if you want to read through, it's um, um, Genesis 14. And he gave a tenth of everything he had um, to Melchizedek, the, the priest. So as we've heard, one of the key differences is tithing is out of the gratitude of our hearts. We've got a choice about tithing because God loves a cheerful giver. So we are asked to tithe as Christians, but God loves a cheerful giver, so he won't come into your pocket or at the source of your income and deduct by direct debit, and we won't do that as a church as well. Because likewise, we love cheerful givers, so we reflect the heart of God. Um, so what I was going to just briefly talk about today is what we do as a church in terms of tithing. So if you look at the Bible, um, I think it's Numbers 18, um, you find the first principle where God commands Aaron that all the tithes from the Israelites should go to the priests, the Levites, and that was 10%. He later on in Numbers 18.21 then asked the priests themselves, the Levites, to then give 10% of that tithe back to God. You know, so the principle of tithing, as you can see, has been running from generation to generation. In fact, one of the key differences between um, taxes and tithing is that tithing has been there since time immemorial. Uh, taxes, you know, only came about much later. Uh, the other difference you probably know is that with taxes, the tax can change. So there'll be people here that pay 10% tax, there'll be others that pay 20%, others 40%, others who pay 50%. But you'll be glad to know that the tithe has been fixed, you know, forever. It's always been 10%. So as a church, we also practice a principle of tithing uh, out of the income we get. One of the key differences is because we don't know what income we'd get in any year, 
our tithe in each year, for example, in this year, is actually based on last year's income. So we'll give at least 10% of the income we received last year through our tithes this year as a church. Um, the other key principle uh, we decided as trustees was that we will not tithe by paying into Junction 10 core activities. You know. So our tithe goes to organizations or other activities that we are comfortable with because we don't just want to give our money to any organizations or activities that we're not comfortable with as a church. Um, so we give to activities that we are comfortable with, but not in direct control of. You know, so that's one of the key principles we've got as, as trustees. Um, so just running through the, um, the slide. So our tithe this year is actually just short of 17,000 uh, pounds. So that's based on last year's income, uh, which was about 170,000 um, pounds. So of that, we've already allocated about 7,000 uh, pounds. And um, the rest is still to be allocated to the, um, the rest of the year. We've got some regular um, recipients in terms of who we tithe to, organizations, activities, and then there are also some ad hoc uh, activities or organizations we tithe to each year. So when I run through the list, you probably realize, uh, I think I've tried to put them in red, uh, there are some organizations that we give to on an annual basis, um, on a regular basis. So hopefully you'll be familiar with most of those organizations or activities. Um, so what I've tried to do is just show you the uh, 2016 tithes, which was uh, just over 17,000, and that went to about 10 recipients. And the recipients in red, as I said, are organizations or activities that we um, regularly give to. When I say regularly, we've done that over the last few years. Uh, but that list is subject to change. It's driven by um, trustees. It's dr driven by members of the church uh, who speak to us about causes or activities, organizations that they um, feel uh, we need to support. And just for your information, I've also got another slide showing the uh, 2015 tithe. So that was um, shy of 20,000 pounds. And uh, you can see, um, again, there are a few organizations there in red uh, who are regular activities. And then the bulk of the recipients, as you notice from the two lists, uh, are ad hoc uh, organizations or activities that we give into. So all I wanted to say is thank you very much for your giving, your faithful giving, because that enables us as a church to show our generosity and also to tie it into different organizations and activities. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew. So that's, as a church, is how we demonstrate generosity. And as I said at the start, we're going to hear some testimonies uh, throughout this morning, and the first one's coming up now. So I'd like to invite Jack. So give On the 1st of October, I had to come to church early with my dad. So my mum said I could get a bacon roll from the van outside for breakfast. However, that week, the van didn't come, so I didn't get any breakfast. And I wasn't too happy about that. I thought the people going to football wouldn't be able to get a drink. So I asked my dad if I could write a sign outside telling people that they could get a drink inside for free. He said yes, if I could find a pen. I could write people, I could, write people could get a drink until 11am. They could also have a biscuit as well if they wanted. <coughs> I went looking for a pen and found one, but it didn't work. So I went again and found another one which did. I wrote the note on the board and a few people came in to get a drink. Thank you, Jeff. Now, 
I know that's been mentioned before from the front, but we, we wanted to, to hear it again. Uh, and Jack asked me, and I thought, yeah, that's okay, but he won't find a pen. But he did, and it didn't work. So he won't find another, but he did. Uh, and that was the first week of our Generous Life series, and it wasn't done in response to anything that he'd, that he'd heard from, from the frontier. I also repeat as well that we said to put on the drinks till 11 a.m. Because I thought, well, we, serve, we start the service then, people want to come in. But a huge thank you to the team that were out there because they served drinks all the way through the morning. So a massive thank you to the team that were on that day because that is generosity in action. So a massive thank you and a huge encouragement. We're going to watch a video now. This is the second testimony. It's going to appear to take your seats again. This is the first of your, your three part three sermons. So, first story we're going to look at is from 1 Kings 17, the story of Elijah and the widow. And it, the observant among you may think, hmm, that sounds familiar. We've heard about that recently. And we have, because Vicky spoke about it at our prize giving service in September. Again, if you want to hear it, if you won't hear it, it's available on the podcast. So Vicky looked at the story from the perspective of being willing and prepared to use whatever we have in our hands at that time. This morning, though, I want to look briefly at the response of the widow in terms of generosity. So to quickly recap, Elijah, the prophet Elijah, had told King Ahab there was to be a great drought. He'd then gone into hiding in the Kerith Ravine where he could drink water from the brook and he was brought meat and bread by the ravens. But when the drought dried up the brook, God told Elijah to go to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, Sidon, where there would be a widow to supply him with food. Now this widow, she was feeling the effects of the drought as much as anybody else. It wasn't as though she'd stockpiled, she didn't have stores. And when Elijah asked her for water and a piece of bread, oh, that was tough. In fact, we read that she was collecting sticks to prepare a final meal for herself and her son. They were going to eat and then die because they saw no hope. Just put yourself in her shoes for a moment. You've got enough provisions for one meal, one final basic meal. You expect that even if you eat that, you're going to die. If you don't eat it, you're pretty much guaranteed to die. And then a strange man comes and says, bake the bread for me, not for you. What would your reaction be? Clear off, get off. You know, we, we may not find ourselves in that exact scenario where we choose to eat ourselves or feed a stranger. But, you know, maybe you're down to your last five pounds and God says... I want you to bless that person with five pounds. Oh, oh, question is, if I give, God, have you got my back? Will you resupply? And I'm guessing it's a struggle for most of us. I'll have my hands up, it's a struggle. You might stand there thinking, surely God, you can't mean that. Maybe, maybe it was a pound, I've got five pounds, maybe I could give one. I must have heard you wrong. You can't be serious, that's, that's financial ir irresponsibility. 
Maybe, you, maybe you're a bit further on and you say, okay, I'll give the five pound. But you know what, even if you give the five pound, I'm guessing there's going to be some nervousness about doing so. Are you really going to come through on this, God? Are you really, really going to come through? In the story, we see that it was only as this widow woman gave beyond what was comfortable did she discover her future was secure. She didn't know when she made the bread for Elijah that the oil and the flour would be replenished. She didn't know that it would provide for her and the son. And it was only after she brought the bread to Elijah and went back that she saw, oh, there's some left. And she could fix her own meal. And it kept being replenished until the rain fell. She found that God provided for her and her family. And you know what? She wasn't even one of God's people. So how much more should those of us who say we are Christians strive to live a generous life? Let me read a couple of verses which should hopefully further increase our faith to give. In Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. All those riches are available to us if we trust in him. Matthew 6.33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Are we going to be generous? In addition to one-off gifts, though, hopefully those verses can increase our faith to tithe, knowing that God will resupply. Let me be clear, as Andrew said, we're not legalistic about tithing. Tithing doesn't determine your salvation at all. Should we tithe? Yes. Is it always easy? No. And it may be today that you feel that your financial situation means that you can't tithe. Maybe you're in a bit of a mess financially. Well, we can put you in touch with Christian advisors to help with that sort of thing. We can do that today. We can, we can help practically. Because it's not always easy. It doesn't always feel easy to give that 10%. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, when I spoke about forgiveness and I said sometimes forgiving is hard and maybe you have to start by choosing to want to forgive. If you're in a position where tithing may be hard, maybe the starting point is choose to want to tithe. Maybe giving the 10% isn't going to be a joyful experience. Maybe it's, I'm not quite sure, God, how are you going to provide on this? Maybe... We look, start, start by saying, I want to tithe. What can I tithe? What, God, what can I give you? What can I joyfully give you? And then see what God does. See, the, the widow gave the little that she had, and God resupplied. So in your heart, decide what you can give. If you're giving the 10%, don't drop it, please. Please. <laughs> Brief, if, you, if you're not tithing yet, then maybe say, God, I've heard what's been said of this series. Help me to give joyfully. Help me to start tithing. And give joyfully and then see what God does. And then maybe you'll find that you can give a little bit more and see what God does. And maybe you get to the 10% or maybe more. See, if the experience of the widow and God resupplying is real, What's stopping us from tithing? If we believe that God will provide and resupply, and we live as such, 
then we as a people, as individuals and as a church, will move towards generosity. We're going to hear, we are going to hear the second testimony now from someone who's actually put this into practice. and I've been asked to share with you a story about a time when God had asked me to do something and to be generous. So going back a few years ago, I was in a position where uh, my marriage had ended. I'd got two very young children and was working part-time. So as you can imagine, money was very tight for me at that time. And there was somebody in our church that was going off to university and I kind of heard God saying to me to give this person £50 a month for the duration of her university course. So, as you can imagine, to begin with, I just brushed it to one side and thought to myself, well, that's just me thinking it'd be nice to do something nice for somebody. But that thought didn't go away. God kept on pursuing me and saying, I really want you to support this person, 50 pounds a month, every month for the duration of university. So I was a very reluctant giver. I had several conversations with God, that kind of went along the lines of, well, 50 pounds a month is not something that I've got. I came up with lots of solutions for God. I said, maybe her family would like to support her God, you can tell them. I thought maybe, Lord, you'd like to line up a nice job for her so that I haven't got to support her. But as time went on, I realised that was something that God was telling me that I needed to do. And I went arguing all the way to the bank with God, even stood at the counter of the bank and still said to God, are you sure you want me to do this? Because I haven't got the money, I haven't got £50 spare, I haven't even got a penny to spare. So are you sure you want me to do this? But I really felt God was telling me yes. So anyway, I came home from that, still not happy, even though I was doing what God told me to do. And I was clearing through an old handbag and happened to find £90 just in the bag from where I don't know. So to me, that was just absolutely incredible that God had um, given me this money and provided for me. And I was really, really overwhelmed with it. That weekend, my mum and dad came up to stay and told them what had happened. Sorry. <coughs> and my mum said to me, well, actually, that's quite amazing that you've done that because I've got this for you, somebody from my church has bought this for you and she gave me an envelope and in the envelope was £500 and I was just absolutely staggered that you know God had got this plan for me all along and it was about me being generous but being obedient to him. Anyway the three years went along and I have to say even though money was tight I didn't actually particularly notice the £50 a month was gone, so it came to the end of the three years and I kind of went, oof, that's really nice because I can get my £50 a month back now and, and that was my, if you like, my contract with God was over and I, and I came out of it. So the story doesn't end there, a few months later I came home from work and there was a brown envelope on the floor from the tax man, so I picked it up, so oh dear, here we go. What do I owe now? I opened it up and in there was a cheque for £350. No explanation, just a cheque. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I looked on the floor and there was not just one envelope, there were several envelopes on the floor. So I opened them all up and each one had got £350 cheque in it. So I kind of put them all together, put them to the one side and thought, well, I'm not going to cash them 
just in case there's been a glitch and their machine has spouted out these checks and it's wrong. So that had the weekend. Monday I came home from work, more brown envelopes on the floor. I opened up the brown envelopes and in each of the envelopes again was £350. But this time there was a letter from the taxman saying that they looked into my records and a few years ago I, they'd owed me this money. A few months later I was just kind of thinking around this time where God had asked me to be faithful and when I actually worked out how much I'd given over the three years it was the exact amount that I'd had in the um, cheques from the taxman. So it's just to encourage you that even if you think you can't give, even if a pound seems too much then you know God will supply your need and don't be shy because it's his money at the end of the day. Thank you. I can do anything. I can do all things. Cause it's you who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible. Amen. It's great, isn't it? Great story, great testimony of God's provision through obedience. And we are going to be doing the generosity challenge now. So if you were one of those people who received £10, or if you weren't the person but the person who did get the £10 asked you to do it for you, could you come forward please? So that's Judith, Jeannie, Becky, and the other person who we've got, can't be with us today, he's Jackie. Um, can I just say before that, uh, Rachel couldn't be with us today, and she knew that, but she really felt it was important that her testimony was given. So we recorded that a couple of Sundays ago. And I'm not going to go into details, but God knew what he was doing, and it was really important for Rachel, given what she was going to be facing and didn't know, to have been reminded of that testimony. So even in her being generous and giving that testimony to you, it also built her up as well. So God knows what he's doing. Um, but uh, this, is, this is a text from Jackie to Vicky. Morning, Vicky. I took my very lovely, brave and courageous friend and her little boy who lost her husband and dad in March to the complications associated with Dutchens muscular dystrophy, sorry I didn't say that properly, out for breakfast. With being friends for over 20 years, we've seen each other through all the usual milestones you'd associate with friendship lasting that long. Each of us taking it in turns to support the other through the trials and triumphs. But this one by far has been the hardest and I can't imagine what it would be to have, have lost for, for, you know, for a wife and children to have lost their dad. I wanted to remind her how awesome she is and how incredibly proud I am of her. So thank you for the tenor and for your generosity and to encouraging mine. So, you know, generosity is far more than just money. But Jesus talked a lot about how we're in the kingdom 
And we're to be wise and shrewd about using earthly money and the way that we use it. And Jackie's testimony there shows that it wasn't just about the money. The money was an enabler, but actually it was about her time, her support, and friendship. So Judith John was one of the people who, who, whose tenor was under the chair. Do you, do you want to tell us what happened with John, please? Because yes. he's written it down for yes, you, hasn't he? Yes, he's written it all down for me. Uh, there you go. Held it right up to you. As one or two of you will know, we have a young lady staying with us at present. And her niece is blind. Um, she's only three years old and she's blind. And they're trying to get the money together for her to go to Mexico, Mexico for a, um, an operation that will um, give her her sight back. And John's decided that um, even though one or two people said he should give it to his wife. <laughs> How many people said that? One or two. One. <laughs> one or two. So we, he's decided that the money will go there. Um, it's going to cost roughly 15000 for it to go to Mexico, have the operation, and for it to have the treatment while she's out there. She's a lovely little girl. Well, I, my heart just goes out to her. And I've broken every rule book in the YMCA's rule book because you're not supposed to get attached or fall in love with them. But I can't help it with this one. So, yes. That's Thanks, Judith. That's brilliant. Let's give Judith a round of applause. And I, I, I don't want to embarrass Judith too much, Judith and John, but... Do you know, Judith and John are so generous in the way that they take people into their homes, they provide for them, they see a need, they're serving here all the time. And it's important we have a culture of honour. And the danger is that there's lots of you here who are also generous and who also do those things who I'm not going to mention. But, you know, if we start to honour the people who are generous, then it just creates that culture. So thank you, Judith and John. Jeannie, you were one of the other people who, who had the fateful £10 under your chair. What, what did God want you to do with that? He wanted me to share it with somebody, and I've got a, an elderly lady in my cul-de-sac who's got no, nobody. She's got no children. She's never been married. And she used to sit outside her little bungalow in a chair, always look forlorn and everything. And one day I met her on the bus, and we started talking, and I just thought, well, I've got to do something for her. And I went to her, and I said to her, God's told me to come and share this money with you. Would you like to come out to dinner? She just burst out crying. Wow. Well, I took her out to lunch, and she said to me, Jeannie, I've been into a shop, and there's a, a top that I'd love, but I just haven't got the money. And I thought, well, this is my chance. Lord, what can I do? And I just felt there was an earning. So I went and got the, bought this blouse with my money. When we got home, she'd had this meal. We'd had a talk and everything. And I put, slipped the bag into her little bag. And as she opened it, her eyes just shot out. She said to me, who's done this for me? And I said, it's God that's done. He's given me that message to give you. Wow. And since then, I've taken her shopping. She's come for meals. And I've blessed a couple of other people in our cul-de-sac. And wow. it was an absolute pleasure brilliant. to do it. Okay, thanks, Jeannie. That's brilliant. <laughs> and... 
who knows how that person and the other people that you've blessed out of your own generosity, let alone the, the, the generosity challenge here, you know, they're little parts of the kingdom. And we don't always have to tell people directly about Jesus right at that point in time. But by showing God's love, by showing our generosity, it's actually the generosity of the Father. And I'm telling you something. Yes, we are called to evangelize. We are called to tell people. But it's much easier to tell people when they've already experienced God's love. Becky. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, uh, come Wednesday, just gone. Uh, we still had our £10. Pound. Um, so, I was like... Um, Okay, so I woke up to a Wednesday morning just conscious that, you know, we had to do something with this £10. So um, Wednesday morning, sort of just went downstairs and just making uh, early morning, morning cup of tea. And um, the thought baby milk just dropped into my head. Right. And I thought baby milk, I'm kind of at that stage now. Um, but then, <clears throat> I mean, anybody who's got young children, babies, would know if you buy a bottle of formula, how much is it? It's £10 for a bottle of formula. Um, so I was like, right, okay, because that morning I had my friend um, who's had a lot of difficulties. Um, she's got a young uh, seven-month-old baby. Um, she's on her own with a toddler and a young baby. She's had a lot of difficulties and life's a bit hard for her at the moment. So I was just like, that's, that's where that... God sort of just dropped that thought into my mind, baby milk, going by go and buy her a bottle of baby milk, uh, you know, a tub of baby milk. Um, so that's what I did. Um, I went to the shop, got this £10 baby milk. Um, and when she came, um, that sort of late morning, she was like, she was all flustered as she normally is, as you, as you normally are, trying to get two kids in and out of the car and trying to get anywhere with two young kids is hard work. But um, <clears throat> she came through the door and uh, I made her a cup of tea and I sat her down and... She sort of told herself, oh, this has happened, uh, this and, and all these kind of issues, and I just went, I didn't say anything, I just sort of, you know, just gave her the tub of baby milk, and she went, what's that for? I said, well, it's, it's for the baby, you know, it's just wanted to bless you. Um, but she had this look, she just, she just kind of held it in hand, and she looked at me, and she went, why would you do that? Which I didn't know ever to be offended, because I'm quite a generous <laughs> friend anyway. I was like, well... I'm going to tell you the truth. I said, the church has given me this money uh, to give to you. So I just wanted to bless you with this baby milk. And she was like, she was just absolutely taken back. And she wanted to thank everybody for giving, you know, for blessing her. Because, you know, the honest truth of that was is that that's more than the actual father's actually ever given for that baby. Was so that the real dad yeah. of the baby's yeah. never even... So you've given more than that... that dad has given that baby so on behalf of her she just wants to say thank you oh. and she was really blessed thanks becky so someone who maybe doesn't know the father's love and hasn't known that support has, has felt a little bit of support and maybe that's just one step for them in engaging in greater and greater amounts of the father's love so our second story is about King David. Uh, King David was a man after God's own heart. He was world famous. He was a great leader. He was, 
a politician, a poet. In fact, he wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible. And King David knew, King David knew that in his story, the mighty blessings had come from the fact that he had the favour of God on his life. But as he gets older, he starts to change the narrative of the story. And he starts to act as though his successes are through his own accomplishments. Now, do we ever do that? I'm sure we don't. But we're young and we have nothing and we're so thankful to God for every single blessing. And then as we move on and God blesses us and we move on in our accomplishments, we start to change the story. We forget that it's all actually part of God's provision. That he was the one who opened the doors. And rather, we begin to congratulate ourselves and say, hey, look at what we've done. We give ourselves the credit. Now, probably the greatest illustration of this happening in David's life was in 1 Chronicles 21. And David ordered a census of Israel. He wanted to count the people of Israel because he wanted to know what the size of his kingdom and how it had grown. And particularly, he wanted to know the size of his army of fighting warriors. He wanted to know how big his fighting machine was. Now, Joab, who's the commander of his army, recognizes that this would be sin. And he doesn't want to give David a number. Joab doesn't want David to be able to brag and give himself all the credit. And also, taking a census was actually the duty of the priests. And it violated one of the Levitical laws. But David ignores the law and he ignores the wise counsel of one of his most valiant, loyal and trusted men and orders the census against advice. <laughs> now the Bible says that God was most displeased with the census. And just like Joab had warned, the punishment for Israel started to come because of David's sin. Now the great thing about David, if you know about his life, is that he is someone that as soon as he realises his mistakes... He repents. And the Bible says he put on burlap as a sign of deep distress and he fell face down to the ground. And he's willing to take the punishment personally rather than it being meted out to his people. And he sees an angel from God with a sword drawn ready to punish Israel further and he pleads with the angel only to punish him. Now at this stage, God sees David's heart and instead of punishment, he instructs David to build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of a very wealthy man called Arona. So David sets off to the threshing floor and he arrives at this place called Mount Moriah. Now it's believed that this threshing floor of Arona is actually the spot where Abraham came to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And David would have been very well aware of the significance. In fact, this place is so significant that later on, when the very first temple to God was built by David's son Solomon, 
it's built on this very spot. So David arrives and he offers a full price for the threshing floor. Now, bear in mind that a threshing floor is something that's essential to wheat farmers. It's where they separate out the wheat from the chaff. So it would have been very valuable to Arona. Now, Arona makes a very attractive offer to David, and this is what he says. Take it, my lord and king, and use it as you wish. I will give you the oxen for the burnt offerings. And the threshing floor boards, you can use that for wood and build a fire on the altar. And I'll give you the wheat for a grain offering. I will give it all to you. Now, what a generous offer. And I think most church leaders these days would say, Hallelujah, bless God, it's the provision of the Lord. I think that's what they'd say. But David says, no. That's not the kind of offering I want to make to God. David recaptures his integrity. And this is the crucial part of the story. He says, no, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. The Bible says that not only did David pay the full price, but he also built the altar himself and he made the sacrifice of offerings. And David remembers once more that all he has comes from the generous hand of God. David recognised that his expression of generosity revealed the true condition of his heart. David didn't want to give a cheap gift to God that was provided by the hands of another. He said, I will not offer an offering that cost me nothing. He was basically saying, I want God to know that I did something that was expensive, that I put myself out for this gift. You see, for us today, expressions of generosity reveal the true condition of our hearts. And on the next video clip, this is something that the very influential pastor Bill Hybels, leader of Willow Creek, a massive church in Chicago, America, had to learn. Please watch the screen. You all know that expressions of generosity reveal the true condition of our hearts. I can't believe I'm telling you this illustration on Valentine's weekend, but when I first got married, I learned that my wife Lynn really liked flower arrangements. I mean, she really did. She's an artist and an aesthetic, loves shapes and colors and likes to rearrange flowers. So I used to drive all the way into Barrington, quite a distance from where I live, because they had a very expensive and artsy kind of flower shop there. And quite regularly, I would spend quite a bit of money and bring those flowers home to her. And every time I did, it really touched Lynn. I mean, it melted her heart. And she expressed it uh, openly back to me. And so uh, I did that on a regular basis. One day, I'm pulling out of church, and there's an old beat-up Oldsmobile right outside the church, and it's got the trunk open, and it has a spray-painted sign in the trunk. Flowers. Cheap. Well, I'm Dutch, and I see the word cheap. I'm like, all right, got to check this out. So anyway, I pull off to the side of the road, and I, I say, uh, how much for a dozen red roses? He goes, 10 bucks. I said, 10 bucks? I'm paying so much more than that. 
and I have to drive all the way to Barrington. He goes, well, you don't have to. Ten bucks right here. Give me the ten, I'll give you twelve of these roses. So I checked them out a little bit, and then the roses looked a little tired. Can I say that? They looked a little tired. <laughs> then I looked closely, and I could tell that he has spray-painted the, the roses red because there was overspray on the green stems. <laughs> but it was going to save me a lot of money. So I said, sure. I gave him the 10 bucks. I drove home, and I gave him to Lynn. So she takes them, and as she's putting them in the vase, some of the paint rubs off on her hands. And she goes, did you get this at the usual place? I said, no. There's a guy in an Oldsmobile who had the trunk open, and I got him for 10 bucks, and I saved a lot of money. She goes, oh, oh, no thanks or anything. Oh. Uh, next morning, I get up, and they're gone. I'm like, what happened to the roses? Oh, well. Now, I did that, okay, I admit to it. But then I did that a second time, about two weeks later. And then you know what I did? I did it the third time. And the third time, when I gave them to her, she looked at them, and she put them straight into the garbage, and she just walked away. Now, here's what we all know is true. Gifts reveal the condition of your heart. Gifts reveal the condition of your heart. Lynn could see mine, and it wasn't pretty, and it hurt her. Gang, God can see the true condition of your heart every single time you express generosity. Because every time you make a gift to anybody in need or to God's work or to a building campaign, God can tell immediately if that came from a heart that wants to express freshly cut, expensive, high-quality roses, if, you, if the gift came from that kind of heart. And God can tell a mile away when you give a gift that's really just a spray-painted cheap flower. God sees the condition of your heart whenever you give a gift of any kind. Okay. So we're going to finish this morning. We're going to land this morning with looking at the widow's might, our third Bible story. The widow's mite is found in Luke 21, and it's probably the most obvious story in the Bible when we think about generosity. And I would imagine many of you have heard this story many times before. Now, as an aside, can I just say that because we wanted to cover three different scriptures today, it's not possible for us to look at each one in detail. But could I really encourage you this week that when you're having a bit of time with God, perhaps you could camp around these scriptures. Perhaps you could read them slowly and ask the Holy Spirit to begin speaking to you through them, to allow him to start doing his work with you and on your heart, because none of us are the finished article, are we? And if we're going to be the generous people that God's asking us to be, and called us to be, then we might need God to do some work on us. Okay, so back to Luke 21 and the widow's might. This is the only time in the Bible when we see Jesus watching people giving their gifts. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus is in the temple, 
And he calls his disciples over to him and he says, come here. Come and have a look at this. Come and just watch this with me for a moment. And they all see this widow come by and drop in all she had. A very meagre amount. Two small coins. Now, I would guess if you were one of the disciples, you might be thinking, well, yeah, great, so what? Look at the big flashy gifts being given over there. But Jesus notices what many people overlook. He turns to them and he says, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. Now, how can that be? I think it's like Jesus is saying to them, small gifts really matter to my father. Do you know whether we're poor or whether we're wealthy, we are all called, me included, to give our best gift. But there is something extra special when we have got very little and we give generously. When you've got next to nothing or a very tiny amount and yet you're still prepared to give that, well, I think that's true kingdom living. That is having a kingdom mentality. You see, for God, it's not the size of the gift that matters, but the size of the faith required to give the gift. I think that's really important, so I'm going to say it again. It's not the size of the gift that matters, but the size of the faith required to give that gift. And do you know why that matters? It matters because this is what moves our Father's heart. When he sees you, and he sees your really difficult situation, and the fact that you are still prepared to give, then that is what moves his heart. Now, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but up until this morning, we have tried really hard, deliberately, not to spend the whole of the generosity series talking about money. And we did that because we really believe that generosity is about a lot more than money, and at its core, it's about our heart and our heart condition. But it would be wrong of us to avoid saying anything about money and about giving. And it is a really difficult area, we recognise that, and it is a bit of a taboo area, But actually, Jesus was more than happy to talk about it. In fact, do you know the Bible talks more about money than it does about heaven or hell or prayer combined? 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus told were concerned with money, about how to handle it, how to use it well, how to steward it. So if it was that important to Jesus, then it's important to us. Joe's talked about God's ability to resupply, that when we give, when we tithe our money, do we actually have faith in a God who will resupply? Will's talked about the fact that the gift reveals the heart, that everything we have is because of God's favour and blessing on us. So this morning as we finish, 
with this widow giving her two coins, all that she had. I'm really praying that she will be an encouragement to us, to us all, but especially to those of us who might feel that we haven't got anything to give. You might have listened this morning and you might have thought, I haven't got anything spare. You might be on a really low income. Maybe you've just lost your job. Perhaps you've got plenty of income, but you actually need it all, so none of it's given away. Maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you're a student. Or maybe you're a teenager and you've just got a tiny amount of money. But this morning, do you know what God sees when you give what you have? He sees the amount of faith in him that is required for you to give that gift or for you to tie that money. However small the amount is, God sees your heart in giving that gift. He sees your faith. And in that moment, in that giving, it's like the whole of heaven will be clapping you on. The whole of heaven will celebrate as you move your father's heart. And do you know what happens then? The windows of heaven will open. The heavenly storehouses will overflow with blessing and provision for you. But it all starts with that step of faith. It all starts with you choosing to trust a heavenly dad who's got provision for us, who is able to resupply in ways we cannot even imagine. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. And I find this whole area really personally challenging. Um, You can ask my husband. I am that very careful, cautious person. I love to be generous but I'm so much happier doing that in my own comfort zone. But if I do that, am I trusting me or am I trusting God? Will and I, not surprisingly because of this series, have been wrestling with some of this stuff very recently and God has been asking us to step out and to stretch our faith in the area of finances and provision. And I struggled with this. I realized that I had some subconscious thinking that actually wasn't very healthy. When we sat down and we looked together at the spreadsheet and what it would actually mean for us in black and white, it didn't add up. It didn't fit nicely. And my thought was, God, we can't possibly do this. But I realized that I was living under some faulty thinking. I thought that if I give outside of my current comfort zone, and if I give what I really think God's asking me to give, then very subtly, subconsciously, I actually believe it's all going to go wrong. I think I won't have enough, that everything's going to be really hard, it's all going to be a big challenge, my children will go without, and I've got all these doom-laden scenarios before me. But this is not kingdom thinking. And what God has shown me is that if I do this, 
If I am truly prepared to step out in faith, and if I give as I think my Father is asking me, and if I trust him to provide, then he is a dad who loves abundance. He longs to bless us, his children, and reach out and provide for us. And I might not always have what I want, but he will always provide what I need. Now we're just going to finish off this morning with our final bits of testimony, some beautiful testimony about God's provision. And I actually think if I pass the mic around this morning, there would be countless stories in this room of how God has provided for us and looked after us. So we're going to start with Alison. And then following Alison, Matt is going to come and share. And I've deliberately kept these to to follow the widow's might because both show giving in faith and giving when there was little to give. I'm going to read this so I don't waffle and whatever. A few months after our daughter Rachel was born, uh, Roy was put on a three-day working week. I'd given up work and we'd had to adjust to having one salary instead of two, and now that was going to reduce even further. A year or so earlier, we'd started to tithe for the first time, and putting seven pounds out of wages of 70 pounds, this was a long time ago. That had been okay, but could we afford to tithe four pounds out of just 40 and still pay our mortgage and our other bills? But we knew God was faithful and we could trust his promises, so we continued to give our tithes. And after a week or so, a man from our Methodist church, who we didn't particularly know very well, started to visit with a bag of basic groceries, and he did this every week until Roy's work situation improved. Another man from our little church often brought us some meat, and another elderly couple gave me some money to buy Rachel a dress for my brother's wedding when we couldn't afford to do that ourselves. And God blessed us so much through the generosity of people from the church. Um, Before, we'd always been the ones to offer to help others, and initially, it was quite hard to swallow our pride and be on the receiving end, and that was another lesson in itself. But God doesn't always use other people to help. Um, Sometimes he just does stuff miraculously himself. Now, between 1999 and 2001, uh, Roy was very ill, and he had two major operations. He had long periods of being unfit to work then, and when he did go back to work, was made redundant. Rachel was at university, our other daughter was doing her A-levels, and I was working at a special school at the time. But all through these three years or so, we continued to honour God with our tithe. And the one monthly salary miraculously stretched to cover all of our bills, where previously we'd always needed the two salaries to do that. We always had just enough for what we needed. In Malachi 3, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to store it. Uh, And then just bringing it up to date, really. Um, Over the last few years, we've been able to be generous to others and help out financially from time to time as God prompts. But through this series, God's challenged me to be generous in other ways. I've always thought generosity was just about money, but it isn't, is it? It challenged me to be generous with my words by thinking before I speak 
and speaking positively instead of negatively. It's challenged me to think about being generous with my actions by just smiling at people that I meet during the day, and it's amazing <laughs> what a difference that makes. And by being an encourager. There's a, a lady in our local shop who is always happy and smiling, very chirpy. And the other day when I went in, I told her how much I appreciated her cheerfulness when she gave me my paper every morning. And she seemed really surprised. And I thought, well, that is a way of blessing others, isn't it? Very mm -hmm. simple, as we were saying before. Sometimes generosity is simple, just doing the little things. Mm. Thank you, Alison. That's <laughs> Matt was brilliant because on the first day we said, has anybody got any testimony? And he came up to me straight afterwards and said, I've got something to share. So, thank you. That's right, but that's only through your obedience in speaking because you got up and you, you said to us how God had told you to speak and you, you, you said, I want you to look into your hands and ask what you've got to give. And I looked at my hands and I thought, what can I give? And it's stories, and it's stories which we all have, isn't it? But last week, uh, Sue's best friend came and which is Liz, and Liz and her husband Simon, they're missionaries, they, they go to spend a lot of time in Poland, um, three little kids at the time, um, so the sort of bus mission turned into a minibus mission, so Simon would go off on his own and come back, and every now and then he'd go back out with the kids, and then one summer, we had two kids at the time, I think Isabella was about 10 months old, and Josh was just three, and um, they said, do you want to come and do a youth camp with us? I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll do that. So we packed everything up into our mini metro at the time, which we borrowed, with a 10, 11-month-old daughter. I thought, well, crazy, aren't we? <laughs> um, but we went off for the summer, and uh, the first part was great. We camped in the middle of a forest with lakes and everything around us. The second part was into Warsaw, where you had two extremes. You had, like, the ghettos, where you had tin roofs, just the crummiest buildings you could ever imagine, and then the big posh flats which had everything in. On our last night, we did a church meeting and then we were asked to go and have um, a meal with a widow. And she asked us how long it would take us to get, out, get home after this, and we said it was about a thousand miles. She went, oh, start. she had nothing in this, this place. It was like concrete, bit of a building. There was nothing in there. It was like just concrete, tin roof. And she opened the cupboards. There wasn't much in the cupboards, but everything she had, all the food came out in these bags. And like, I said to Simon, I said, we can't have this. And he's like, you've got to, you've got to take it. She literally gave us everything she had. Uh, Josh is 24 now, we're three, but he remembers it. It's the one story remembers the lady she gave us everything she had. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Amazing testimonies, yes? I'll just clarify. He said Warsaw in Poland, not Walsall. Okay? He thought that when Sue got the joy, he thought, yeah, we're back off to Poland. Uh, no, we need you in Warsaw. Um, that's the end of our series. Who's been challenged over the weeks, yeah? I'll put my hand up as well. It's been a, a challenge, hasn't it, too, about generosity. And as we've heard, it's not just finance. It's about the small things. It's about the attitude. It's the posture that we take towards people. We're going to bring things to a close now this morning. We're going to sing our final song. We're going to watch a video. 
just before we do that. And then, so, Ben, if you can come up and we'll go straight into the song from the video. <laughs> 